is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. An elderly couple was uh, experiencing declining memory, and uh, which happens to all of us, and so they decided to take a power memory class where you're taught to associate things with something else to help you remember. A few days after the class, the, the old man was standing outside talking to his neighbor and telling him how wonderful the class was, and the neighbor said, well, what's the, what's the teacher's name? And the old man thought for a minute, and he said, hmm. He said, let me see, well, you know that kind of flower that smells really pretty and has thorns on it? What, what, what is that? And the guy goes, a rose? He goes, yeah, yeah, rose. He turns towards the house and he says, hey, Rose, what's the name of that instructor for our memory class? <laughs> Remembering isn't always the easiest thing. You know, it's hard sometimes to remember things because we tend to forget. And so this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 103. And in Psalm 103, King David says to himself, these are some things I don't want to forget. These are some things that I want to remember. Psalm 103 is a much beloved psalm. In fact, throughout the generations, the church has taken the words of Psalm 103 and has made them or taken them and placed them in songs that have been written throughout the centuries by the church. They're not exactly like Psalm 103, but they're based on David's words from Psalm 103. Psalm 103 begins, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. So as David begins this psalm, he says to himself, self, listen, you, everything in you needs to bless the Lord. Do you ever talk to yourself? I know you do, because we all talk to ourselves, right? I think it's part of being human and part of, of, of having a God consciousness. We, we talk to ourselves. By the way, the, the problem is only if you begin to answer yourself, right? That's, a, that's where the problem lies. Well, David is talking to himself, in essence, in this psalm. He's talking to himself, and he's saying, Self, bless the Lord. Self, with everything in you, bless the Lord. Don't forget him. Psalm 63, verse 3 says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you, or my lips will bless you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. King David says that the way that we bless the Lord, the way we bless the Lord is with our lips. It has to do with praise. It has to do with acknowledging who God is. It's to give him honor. In fact, in Psalm 63, he says he raises his hands to the Lord. He prioritizes God in his life as a way of blessing the Lord. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we did Psalm 100, I think it was. But the word bless there has as its root to bow down. So we, we call it bless the Lord. But in essence, David was saying, I, I bow down self before the Lord. Bow down before the Lord because he is worthy. That's what he's saying. It's worship. 
And he says, not only do you bow down self and worship, but he says, remember his benefits. That word there is rewards. Remember the rewards or the benefits of, of loving God and following God. The idea is that what God has done and what God is doing makes him worthy of our worship, makes him worthy to bow down before him, makes him worthy for us to bless him. And then David says, the reason for that is because God has blessed us. Because God has, I'm going to use a different word, God has rewarded us. God has given benefits to us. And then what David seeks to do in the rest of Psalm 103, which is, I believe, made it such a popular psalm throughout the generations, is that he enumerates what those blessings are to us. He tells us what those blessings, he's telling himself what those blessings are. It's funny, this morning uh, in our prayer time at 8 o'clock, Dickie, I don't know if you realize this, but you prayed five of the six blessings that I'm going to enumerate here. You, you prayed them because they're all found kind of lumped together in, uh, I think it's verse 3 through, or lumped together verses 3 through 5. So here's my goal this morning. My goal from this psalm is to use David's words, and, and I want to exhort you, encourage you, I want to challenge you that at the end of our time together this morning, your desire is going to be to want to bless God. Your desire is going to be to want to bow down before God, to just ascribe to Him worth. And, and you're going to want to do that because this morning we're going to remember what it is that God has done for those who love Him, what God has done for those who who fear him, those who put their trust and confidence in him. So let's remember together. Here he begins in verse 3. The first thing he says is, remember, he forgives us. He says, David, don't ever forget, God has forgiven you. Verse 3, who forgives all your iniquities. If God is God and he's the creator of all things and he made that sun and those stars and everything that there is, then he has a right to establish what is good and right and permissible. And I suggest to you, I suggest to you that what is good springs from the very character of God. What we call good is because that is how God is. You follow me there? In other words, we, we wouldn't call good something else. We, we call what's good, good, because it's the very nature of who God is. And, uh, and so the Bible's clear that God has a right to establish for us what is good. And then he says, but if we fall short of that goodness, the wages of that falling short is uh, the consequences that we're going to die. The wages of sin is death. But God is willing, here's, here's the deal, God is willing to forgive our sins on the basis of Jesus dying for us. And that by means of that, he established his willingness to forgive well, let me read my notes. And the means by which he's established his willingness to forgive us our sins is on the basis of our faith, on the basis of our trust and our confidence in him. So the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I tried really hard to find a story to tell you in my own life of where I felt guilty of something I'd done wrong with someone else. 
and how I felt going to them and, um, and seeking forgiveness and them forgiving me. And honestly, nothing came to mind. Not because there's not lots of them. There are lots of them, but I don't know, none of them came to mind. But I can remember, can you remember ever hurting someone, doing something wrong, and, and just wanting and desiring them to forgive you, wanting to clear that up and be forgiven by them, and going to them and them forgiving you? Can you have any stories like that that you can remember in your own life? Well, I've, I, I can remember the feeling of being forgiven. And, and that's what David says here. David is saying the benefits of God, of loving God and following after God, is that you can know that God has forgiven you all the times you failed, all the times you've not lived up to God's goodness and his good moral standard. Every time you feel God is wanting and willing, David says it's one of his benefits. If you love him, he wants to forgive you. Now, David's not really a linear thinker like we are. We're Westerners. We think logically. We think linearly, uh, like in a line. And so most of my talks, including this one, I mean, they're going to be precept upon precept upon precept. They're going to be point upon point upon point. You're going to be able to follow me logically. I want you to recognize, and not that David's not using logic, but David's going to speak more circular. And what I mean by that is he's, he's going to come back and revisit this idea of forgiveness in this very psalm. So let's drop down to verse 9, and he, he circles back to the blessing of being forgiven. And so in verse 9 he says, God will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. David starts off by saying, hey, here's one of the benefits of God. He, David, don't forget, God has forgiven you. And now he's going to circle back to that, and he's going to say, he's going to remind himself and remind us that God doesn't want to rebuke us, that God doesn't want to keep his anger against us, that what he really wants to do is forgive us our sin and cleanse us of our sin. Remember, the demands of sin is death. God doesn't want to exact that death penalty from us, which would result in us losing our relationship with him forever and ever and ever. Instead, God wants to forgive us our sin. David reminds himself and us of that. And then notice in the text, look at your Bibles. Notice that he uses a simile. And he says, as high as the stars are above the earth, so, so great is your love for us. So great is your forgiveness, because that's the context here. And, and again, you know, we don't really know how, we just know the stars are far away and how David had any idea really how far, I don't know that David had any really idea how far everything was. But he says, as far as that star is from us here, man, that's how great God's love is for us. And then, then he uses another simile and he says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God's removed my sin from me. How far is the east is from the west? I mean, it's a metaphor, right? As far as the east, that away, is from the west, that away. And, and those distances are infinite. They're infinite. The east is from the west, they're infinite. No, no, far, no matter how far you go that way, you're never going to go west. Or if that's east, whatever. You know what I'm saying, right? No matter how far you go east or how far you go west, you're not going to find the other one if you go in a straight line. And, so that's what, and that's what he's saying here. That's how far God has removed my sin from me. Now notice that, that he says... You know, God's love and God's forgiveness, 
is for those who fear him. And I've said this the last two weeks, and I want to say it again. Listen carefully. David is always presupposing faith. He's always undergirding his truth with this assumption that we trust in God, that we're seeking after God, that we love God, that we've put our faith in God. Now, maybe you're wondering, well, how do I get the forgiveness of God? What, what do I have to do to get the forgiveness of God? Well, we all know, maybe you don't know, but most of us in this room know that God doesn't give out his forgiveness meritoriously. He doesn't give it out to you because you've managed to accomplish some degree of obedience. You've managed to do his will right. I mean, the man who wrote this psalm, and I don't know, I, I forgot to look in where in the course of David's life, Psalm 103 fell. You know, but King David, I mean, he messed up quite a bit. And he messed up quite a bit in some big ways. We'd all say they're really big ways, right? And yet God calls him a man after his own heart. And David has experienced God's forgiveness even after failing in a really big way, right? And, and, but how did he get it? Did he get it because now he's gone back and meritoriously obeyed to a certain amount so that God says, oh, yeah, the scale's tipped in your way now, David. I've forgiven you your sin. No, it doesn't work that way at all. God has forgiven us in response to our faith and love. He forgives us on the basis of our putting our confidence in him and loving him. That's the basis by which God forgives us. Here's a verse for you. Here's a verse. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You know it really well. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And that's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, not as a result of your meritorious obedience. That's not why God forgives you. He forgives you on the basis of his grace given to us, mediated through our faith. And here's another one, Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to work together for good, for good to those who love God. The blessing of God and the benefit of God, the forgiveness of God in this particular case, is for those who put their faith in him, put their faith in Jesus and follow after Jesus. So the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be forgiven. I think the word is saved. That's what it means. You shall be forgiven of your sin. David says, self, don't ever forget that. And I want to say to you this morning, don't forget that. And, and, and God forgives all of our iniquities. Number two, remember, he heals us. Again, verse three, who heals all your diseases. David, don't forget, it is God who heals your diseases. Now, David lived a long time ago, and David didn't have all the knowledge that we have. And so uh, I think David, I thought about this a lot. I think David probably understood and knew that God had created him in such a way that if he cut himself, his body would heal. I think he probably understood that. Now, now to what degree he understood that our bodies fight disease and, and heal themselves. Our body is created so wonderfully that it fights disease and it heals itself from injuries in so many ways. I, I don't know that David understood all that, but nor, nor do I think that David understood the medical wisdom that we have today, that doctors can come alongside you and as your body is seeking to heal, doctors can come alongside you and they can help your body heal. And so they can set your broken bones back to where they need to be. And they can cast them so that your bones will heal back together. Or they can give you medicines, whether it's herbal or whether it's some kind of synthetic medicine that actually helps your body heal itself. Listen to this. And we have a doctor in the, in the, in the house, right? And I think he would agree with this. No doctor heals you. 
What a doctor does is he comes alongside you and he supports your body's ability to heal itself or its body, your body's ability to fight disease or to overcome things that, uh, that may be negative in, in your life. David didn't understand all that, but David did understand this. And he reminds himself, and I remind you, that God is our healer. That's what David says. Don't forget, David. Don't forget. It is God that heals you. And uh, so I want to remind you how God is your healer today, lest you forget. Listen, if you are sick or you injure yourself and your body heals itself, man, you need to give thanks to God because God is your healer. God created you to heal. God made you that way. And because he made you that way, you healed. And so you should give him thanks as your healer. But maybe your body can't heal. And so medicine comes along. You know, we've been living with COVID. And, and COVID, you know, a lot of people, their body heals itself from COVID. But there's been a lot of people that they're not able to fight COVID. So the medical establishments come along and help folks with pneumonia and help people who haven't been able to breathe on their own, where COVID might have overcome their body. They've been able to come alongside and help people survive that. When, the, when modern medicine helps your body heal so that you survive and you heal, you should give thanks to God. And you know, sometimes, sometimes your body can't overcome it. And sometimes all the work that somebody might do alongside, a doctor might do alongside you to help you heal, it doesn't work. And your only hope is for God to just outright heal you directly, deliver you, touch you from heaven. And sometimes God does that. You know, last week, if you were here, Earl, Earl told us a story. And um, I mean, it's resonated with me, but Earl had told me that story before. But when he was a young man, his children were really uh, young. He began to follow Jesus and um, he had migraines. Remember this? And, and he talked about how he had migraines. And one day he had a migraine and, and it was terrible and he couldn't, he couldn't hardly think. And his little daughter crawls up on him and says, Daddy, can I pray for you? And, and, and he says, sure, sweet, pray for me. And she prays for the migraines to go away. And they go away. And Earl says, I haven't had a migraine since. There's no doctor coming alongside him. I guess you could say, well, yeah, yeah, but God didn't do that. His body just overcame the migraine somehow. I think most people who have migraines know it doesn't really happen that way. I, I think God delivered Earl, right? And, and God, I mean, we have stories in the scripture, and we have testimonies of people. Now, I want to say something you may or may not disagree with. That, that's a miracle. And what I mean by that is that's not an everyday occurrence. That's not something God does all the time. But, but, but God can heal you that way. And when he does heal you that way, give, don't forget his benefits. He heals by creating you to heal. He heals by giving us uh, wisdom and medical help that comes alongside us and helps us heal. And then sometimes when, when both of those can't do it, he just outright heals us. And then, then here's a fourth thing he does. He promises to one day completely heal us in the resurrection. You know, uh, I, I think about my dad a lot. It's going coming up uh, just past third year anniversary for dad. And, you know, dad died of dementia. You all know that. I've told you this story many times. And, and I've told you this many times, too. But, man, I look forward in the resurrection for my father to be raised and not have dementia anymore. I look forward to seeing my father and being able to have deep conversations with my dad again because his dementia has been healed by God completely. 
And you know, I don't care who it is or where it is or whatever. God one day is going to raise those of us. And I think David's going to talk about that as one of the benefits. But, but God's going to raise us completely healed in the resurrection. So if you're sick and you're now healthy, you should give thanks to God. If you've been sick and modern medicine came along, you've had cancer, and modern medicine's come along with radio, radiology, uh, radiation therapy or chemotherapy or something else, surgery to remove this cancer, and you're healed, you should give thanks to God for that. Or if you've been delivered of something that medicine and your body couldn't do, God's healed you. Give thanks to God for that. And David says, um, David says, never forget. Healing in, healing in this life's always temporary. I don't care what the prosperity people say. I'm telling you, you're all going to die. The wages of sin is death. You're all going to die. None of you are going to, none of you are going to escape, you know, and you're going to die. So I don't know how much healing God gives us now in this moment or in this time. Eventually, my mortality will take my life. But in the resurrection, Jesus will give us our life back. The dead in Christ will be raised completely well. So between now and then, give thanks to God always for your healing whether it's an aspirin that takes away your headache or whether it's something bigger than that. And if someone ever says to you, you believe in, do you believe in divine healing? This is what you say. Absolutely. There's no other kind of healing other than divine healing. And sometimes God may do it this way and sometimes God may do it this way and sometimes God may do it that way, but God is always my healer. That's what David says. Number three, remember he redeems our lives from the pit. Verse four, who redeems your life from the the pit. That's the actual word there. And, and, and the word pit in, in that case refers to the grave. And so David is saying, self, don't ever forget, God is going to rescue you from the grave. It's often translated, can be just translated destruction as well. The Bible says that it's appointed for us to die once and then the judgment. We're going to die. We can't escape it. But here's what David, I believe David is saying. David is saying, the benefits of God is that he's going to rescue me from death. He's going to rescue me from the grave. He's going to raise me up out of the grave. Lots of commentators use the pit as a metaphor for the destructive places that our sin takes us. Like, you know, our depravity, our disorders, our depression, whatever it is. And I agree that God rescues us from those things too. But I think David is talking about death here. And the reason I say that is he's going to, this is going to be one of those things he's going to circle back to also. So in verse 14, look at the Psalm. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place knows it no more. David reminds himself and us, we're but dust. We're made out of the same elements of the ground. And then he says, and we're like the grass that's here one day and it's gone tomorrow. And in the next, no one remembers where that grass was. And he says, that's how you're going to be. No one's going to remember you. You ever think of yourself that way? You ever think of yourself like dust? You ever think of yourself that in just a few generations, people are not even going to know you existed, what your name is? You know, I've thought about this a lot this week. But um, maybe because of the digital age, maybe four generations from now, my great, great, great grandchildren, maybe they'll be able to know something about me. Maybe the digital age will save 
some of the pictures that, you know, how everybody takes pictures now, there's galore of pictures, and you can save them on a little thing. Maybe four or five generations from now, they'll have pictures of Ann and me. And they'll say, well, that's my great, 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 great granddaddy. And here's something great, 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 great granddaddy said. They got it on recording or whatever. And they could know something. I don't know anything about my great grandparents. I can't even, I can go look up their names, but I don't even know their names by heart. I know where they're buried. Not my grandparents, my great grandparents. I know where they're buried, but I don't know anything about them. I don't know their personalities. I don't know what they did. I don't know where they were born. You go back another generation beyond that, I don't even know, I don't know anything about them. I just know where they're buried now, and I can go look up their names. White was, I think, my grandmother's maiden name or something. Here's my point. This is what David's point is. His point is that, that death is coming, the grave is coming, and, and we're going to be like the grass. People are not even going to remember us. But then look at verse 17. So remember, he's coming back around. This is still in the same context, verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Here's what I believe that David is saying. But God's steadfast love is never, ever going to forget me. From generation to generation to generation, God is going to remember me. And you back back up to verse 4, and he's basically basically says, God's going to redeem me from the pit. God's going to raise me back to life from death. God's going to restore my life. He'll rescue me from death. That's what I think David's talking about. And that's one of the benefits you should never forget. I know we don't like to think about death and we don't even think about death. Most of us, I know it's funny. I've been thinking about death a lot lately. Um, I don't know if it's just Rick's death that's, that's made me think that, or if it's all the COVID deaths, or, or just the Afghan stuff that's going on. I don't know, but I, I, I've been thinking about death. Well, maybe it's, man, I know why I'm thinking about death. I think about death because of my dad and my son. I, I think that's why it is. But, but Rick, I, I participated in Rick's service this week. I wasn't there, but I watched it live. And uh, Rick, Rick is dead. He's, he's dust. The times, the winds of times will pass over him. And chances are four or five generations from now, there won't be anybody talking in a service about Rick and who he was. Or any, people won't even know him. Uh, his children hopefully will. Like I said, the digital age may change all this in the future. But in the past, they wouldn't remember him. But God will never forget Rick. From everlasting to everlasting is God's love for his people. And God will never forget Rick. And God is going to raise Rick back up to life. And, and he will restore his life. And he will grant him immortality. And I'll get a chance to sit and talk with Rick. Why? Because Rick earned it? I mean, why is God going to do this for Rick? Because Rick's so extraordinary? Rick wasn't extraordinary. I mean, he's extraordinary to his family. He's extraordinary to his children. By the way, I know I've said this already, forgive me, but if you knew Rick, you ought to go out and watch the service from the part where his son-in-law begins to speak until his children pay homage to their dad. You should watch that. And every one of you dads will say, oh, may God, may my children honor me as Rick's children did. Why, why is God going to remember Rick? Why is God going to raise Rick from the dead? <laughs> He's going to do it because Rick put his trust and faith in Jesus. He's going to do it because Rick loved 
the Lord. That's why he's going to raise, not because Rick was perfect, not because Rick did everything right, but because he put his hope in the Lord Jesus. David says, don't forget, soul, your, your forgiveness in Jesus or in God. Don't forget your healing. Don't forget the resurrection to come. Don't forget, and here's the next one, that he envelops you in his love and mercy. I'm choosing a different word than crown. Verse 4 says, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The word crown there in its oldest roots meant the, had the idea of enveloping or, or enclosing or encompassing someone in something. And he says, don't forget that God is going to encompass you in his love and mercy. Remember, David says that God pours out his love and mercy upon us. And if you've been here for the last two weeks and you've been listening to Psalm 101, I mean, Psalm 100 and Psalm 101, you, you, this is a theme of David's. And it's actually all throughout the Psalms that God's steadfast love is unwavering. It's not going anywhere. God's going to be there and his mercy is equally true for us. God's love has, has uh, God's love is seen in the goodness he bestows to us and his mercy is in the holding back of uh, his judgment against us when we have not done well. This too is something that he will circle back to. Look at verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God works righteousness and justice for the oppressed, David says. Doing right and being just are two big things on God's heart. And God is known, he says here, both for being righteous and merciful. That's what we've experienced from the Lord. David says God's slow to anger and gracious in mercy. He's often holding back his discipline from us. And he's often pouring out his grace upon us. Pharaoh saw this time and time again, though he hardened his heart, hardened his heart. God gave him opportunity after opportunity to repent, and he didn't. How about Israel? It's not just Pharaoh. How about Israel? How many times have I held my hands out to you, you obstinate people? That's what God said to Israel. Let me ask you a question. How many times have you seen the loving kindness and mercy of God, and you've returned to your vomit like a dog returns to his vomit only to eat it? You say, well, that's gross, Jimmy. Yeah, but that's in the Bible. That's what the Bible says about us. Hey, so we go back to our sin, even though God has been gracious and merciful to us, and, and he's been kind, and, and he forgives our sins. We keep going back to it, just like that dog does. It's gross, isn't it, what the dog does? And, and it's just, I think the... the Bible authors are trying to say, that's how gross it is for us. Why? Why is God big on mercy? Why is he abounding in steadfast love? He circles back to it yet again in verse 13. As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. The word translated compassion there is the same word mercy. Why? Why is God like this? We go back to 1 John chapter 3, right? God is like this because it's the very nature of God. God says, I am love. And David says, don't ever forget. Remind yourself of God's love. Remember that he clearly and compellingly, he envelops us, surrounds us, crowns us with mercy and with love. You say, some of you are sitting out there maybe, and we sang about it this morning. You're, you're pushing back in your heart. And you're saying, but Jimmy, that's not how it feels. My life's not going good right now. Everything is hurting and everything's turned upside down. And, and, and you know, it just, it's a mess. And I don't even feel God's presence in my life. Here's what David is saying specifically to you this morning. Don't forget. 
Even though you don't feel it, don't forget God's benefits, that God's steadfast in his mercy towards you. He's steadfast in his love. Even if you don't really feel like it right now, God is your forgiver. He's your healer. He's your rescuer. And he's the one who loves you forever. So I'm telling you, listen, some of you need to hear that. You need to hear that. Even though it doesn't feel like it, remember what David is saying. Next one, remember he is the one who satisfies you. I'm almost finished, y'all hang in there. Remember he's the one who satisfies you, verse five, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The text says God satisfies you with good. And I'm gonna suggest that the good that God satisfies us with there is, um, is, is something really, really big, something really grand that he satisfies us with. Now, maybe this is old school, but I want to suggest to you that everybody in this room and everybody listening and everybody out there has a God-sized hole in their heart that only God fills and only God satisfies. Blaise Pascal in his book, uh, uh, Defense of the Christian Faith, in 1670, published after his death, this is what he says, and I quote, and, and people believe this is where the idea came from, and I think it's biblical, though. Here's the quote, what else does this craving, this helplessness proclaim? But there was once a man, in, in man, a true happiness of which all that now remains is an empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there, the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. I think this is what David is saying. He's saying that only God satisfies that emptiness in our heart. I mean, other things just can't do it. They can maybe put a Band-Aid on it, but they don't do it forever, and they don't do it for good. So what is the good that God satisfies within us? What is that whole? Some, say, some would say the good is prosperity. You know, if God just gives you prosperity, he's filling that, that emptiness in your heart. Others would say it's good health. And I don't disagree that both of those things are good, that when God gives you prosperity where you can bless others, that's a good thing. I'm not disagreeing that having good health is a good thing, but I think that David's talking about something altogether different. I think what he's talking about, listen to what he says. He satisfies you, this is verse 5, he satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Whatever this good is, David says it energizes you and it renews you. And it's like, you know, I've never seen it except on TV where the eagle spreads his wings and he rises on the rising hot currents. You know, he's not, he doesn't have to exert anything. He just rises higher and higher and higher. And David says, God satisfies you so that you're like that eagle, just rising up and rising up and rising up. So what is this thing that he does, this that he satisfies us with? Well, I, I think it's himself. I think it's himself. I think it's the relationship that he, that he wants to have with us, that if I'm willing to open my heart and say, I want that relationship with you, God, I put my trust and my love in you, and I, I follow after you, that is what satisfies my heart like nothing else. And it's that that renews me and, and lifts me up and, 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 and raises me up. Listen to Jesus. This is Jesus in Luke 11. He says, If you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
I think God gives us himself in the person of his spirit. And the spirit comes in and, and in our lives. And here's what the spirit does for us. He gives us power. You shall receive power when the spirit has come upon you. But he gives us more than power. He gives us purpose and meaning and vision. He gives us, he gives us hope for tomorrow. He gives us something bigger than ourselves. And he fills that void with himself. Now, I got to be honest. As I, I was working on my notes this week... I wrote down in my notes, and I want to be honest, um, I'm tired these days. I don't know if it's just that I'm getting old, but I'm tired. I'm not nearly as idealistic as I once was. I'm not propelled like I once was. And, and I have found David's words encouraging because over the course of my 40 years of following Jesus, you know, when I get like this, God always comes back and he just, he lifts me up. As I, as I look to him when, when, I'm, when I'm feeling drained and I look to him, he, he lifts me up. And I'm just challenging all of you this morning. David says, don't forget, he's the one that satisfies. He's the one that fills. He's the one that lifts you up like that eagle rising, rising up and renewing you. So I meditated on this, on this passage this week. Josh Grogan's, Groban, is that his name? Is he a Christian? I didn't think I knew whether he was or not. So I don't know exactly what he means by this song, but I want to read you the words of his song, You Raise Me Up. Listen to these words. Because, I mean, I just this song came to mind, and I sat at my desk and sang it. When, when I am down and, oh, my soul so weary, when troubles come and my heart burdened be, then I am still and wait here in the silence until you come and sit a while with me. You raise me up so I can stand on mountains. You raise me up to walk on stormy seas. I am strong when I am on your shoulders. You raise me up to be more than I can be. Now, I don't know if he means God there or if he means somebody else, but I'm telling you, that song, those words, that, that, that's what King David is saying. You satisfy me. And I think this is what he's talking about. Finally, and I'm done. Remember who God is, verse 19. Drop down to the bottom of the psalm. We're out of verses 3, 4, and 5. We're down to verse 19. In verse 19, David sort of puts a, a final conclusion on the things that he circled back to several times. But in verse 19, he says basically this to himself. Soul, remember who God is. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Now maybe you're thinking, well, that's not a benefit. That's not a blessing. I would disagree. I, there is no greater blessing in my mind than knowing that God is seated on his throne and that God is king over all and that his kingdom will rule over all. That is such a great blessing to me to know that my God, our God, the creator sits on his throne. He's never stumped. He's never asleep. He, he's, he's never he's never more than a call away. He's never he never leaves us nor forsakes us. I think that's what David is saying. Saul, don't forget, he is Lord over all and, uh, and his kingdom is forever. Now, I don't mean by this that, that God is the cause of all that's happening. And I've got some notes here. I think I'm just going to kind of skip them. I don't, I don't believe that God is the causal behind all the evil in the world. I, I, you know, I just don't, I don't believe that. I believe we have some autonomy that, uh, that is separate from the Lord so that we can choose evil. And, and it just, I mean, we just look around. Just look around and see the evil that we do, right? 
Look at Afghanistan this week. But David is saying, nonetheless, remember, our God sits in this heaven and he does whatever he pleases. Our God is absolutely sovereign over all. He's Lord over all. Not that again that I believe he's the cause behind all things, but he sits over them. And here's what that means to us this morning. I think anyway, here's what that means to me. It means that God is attentive to my cries. I mean, God, God is attentive to our cries. To our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, God has not forsaken them. God is attentive to their cries. God is attentive, I think, to the cries of the unbeliever who have yet, who's yet come to faith, but maybe whose heart is being inclined towards the Lord by the circumstances of their life or, or just whatever. God is, they're beginning to turn their attention to the Lord. He is attentive to their cries. Here's something else I believe it means. It means that God is able. It means that God is able. The fact that he sits over everything. He's able. There's nothing that God cannot do. Whatever you're going through, wherever you're hurting, no matter how difficult it is, here's, my, here's David's encouragement to us, right? God sits in heaven and reigns, meaning that there's nothing he can't stop, nothing he can't change, nothing that he can't reverse. Now, I don't necessarily mean that he's always going to do that. Some people would like to treat God like he's our Aladdin in a lamp. I mean, a genie in a lamp, right? We rub God and he does what we want him to do. I don't believe God functions that way at all. But here's the promise. God says, man, there's nothing I can't change, nothing I can't stop. So look to me. Depend on me. Depend on me. To quote the English idiom, and I don't know whether I should or not, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's, it's not over till the fat lady sings. You know where that idiom comes from? It's an opera idiom, you know. The opera never ended until the heavyset stout lady came out and sang her piece. That's where that comes from. It's never over till it's over. It's never over till God says, yeah, no, it's over now. So look to him. And finally, this is what I think it means. God will make it right. All things work together for good to those who love God. God will bring about his justice and his righteousness in the end. And here's what it means that our God sits in heaven and he reigns. He's going to make, it all, he's going to make all things right. One day, as he draws the psalm to a close, David is compelled to say, as he began, he starts off, soul, don't forget God. Don't forget his benefits. Don't bless the Lord. David, don't forget to bless the Lord. But then he says, it's not just himself. Verse 20, he says, bless the Lord, you angels of the, the Lord, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his host, his ministers who do his will. Now, I think he's probably just talking about angels, but we could parse it a little bit and say his angels, his hosts are his warriors, his ministers are his servants who do his will. But he's basically calling on the angelic spiritual realm. You bless the Lord too, not just us. You bless the Lord. And then he, then he says in verse 22, bless the Lord all his works in all places. Uh, of his dominion. In other words, verse 22 is just like everybody, bless the Lord, everything, bless the Lord. And then he brings it full circle and he says, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Me, bless the Lord, don't forget. So I'm done. Now I come to the application. So what do you need to remember this morning? What do you personally need to remember do you need to remember that your sin is not so deep that God can't forgive you? 
You know, I was thinking about this this week. Some of you may have stepped into this room today and you may have really failed the Lord. You may have really sinned this week. And you're maybe even thinking to yourself, boy, man, you know, why would God want to have anything to do with me? Why would God forgive me? I'm glad you came. Here's, here's, what, here's what the Bible says. If we confess our sins, no matter how grievous it is, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of, of all of our unrighteousness. Remember, he forgives us our sins. Do you need forgiveness today? Look to him. Maybe you're struggling with a serious illness. Remember, God says, I'm the God who heals you. Look to him. Look to him. Say, God, I need your help. Maybe you see death approaching. Uh, Jesus said, though you die, yet shall you live. Though you die, yet shall you live. So if you see death approaching, here's what I'd say to you. Trust in the Lord. He can rescue you and he will rescue you. You will live again. Maybe you feel unloved and condemned. Remind yourself today that in spite your feelings, in spite how you feel, the truth is you are loved. Um, again, sitting at my desk, Lauren Daigle's song came to mind. You know the song? You know the verse? You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. You say I am held when I am falling short. When I don't belong, you say, I'm yours, and I believe. Oh, I believe what you say of me. Oh, I believe. Maybe you need to remember that today, that you are loved by God. He's never stopped loving you. Maybe this morning you're empty, and you need to remember that Jesus can satisfy you. Listen to him. I have come that you might have life, and that you might have it abundantly. Come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Or how about this one? Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. Because I'm going to satisfy that person. In fact, the water I'll give him will not only satisfy him, but will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Let Jesus fill you up this morning. If you're empty and, and, there's a, and you're, you just feel flat, and, and what's the purpose of my life? Listen, let Jesus change that. Last one. Maybe this morning you need to remind it of who God is. That you're under, that you're under the pressure of, of negative stuff. Don't forget, our king reigns, and he reigns from heaven. So let's bow our heads. Hey, Jen, have a playing something for me real quick. Would you just play something in the background? And while she's playing, just because I think music like that just helps us focus, I'd like to ask you, I'm not going to ask you to get out of your seat or do anything public. This is just, this is a time for you to take a moment and uh, bless the Lord in your heart. Bless the Lord in your heart. Acknowledge him in your heart. Right now in this moment, say, Lord, I love you. I trust you. I honor you. I bow before you. And then what do you need to remember? Do you need to confess your sins and know that he's faithful to forgive you? Then do that right now in your chair. God, I really failed this week. I really, I really messed up, Lord. I, I chose my own will over yours and I sinned greatly against you and against others. Confess it. Maybe, maybe you're struggling with an illness. Maybe that illness is making you think of your mortality and it's really near or something then confess your confidence in God that he will heal you. He will raise you from the dead. He will rescue you from the grave. And just tell him that.
Be confident in that. Don't be afraid. Maybe you're feeling unloved and condemned. And you're just, you know, how could God love me when I felt so bad? I mean, God has, God has loved you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He doesn't stop loving you. Even those who will die because of their sin eventually. I mean, God's, I don't think God's going to ever forget them. I don't think God's ever going to stop loving them. Though the wages of sin is death. And the free gift of God is given only to those who put their faith in Jesus. I love God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But if you're feeling unloved this morning, just... I'll say, God, fill me with your love so I can experience, because he wants you to experience his love today. God, I pray that our prayers are rising before you as a sweet aroma. Spirit, would you just help right now in this moment as people are praying and if somebody's hurting or if somebody's, if you've touched a person's heart and they're just really, they need your help, Spirit, just come in and remind them, help them to feel your love, help them to feel your embrace and your forgiveness and your cleansing, your power, your purpose. Satisfy as only you can, Lord, give them abundant life. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Be blessed.